<coughs> Morning, everyone. Okay, let's uh, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, truly you spoke to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus, who solemnly told us, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we pray that this morning as we come to listen to your word, we pray that we will be those um, who hear the word, who accept it, and produce a crop in our lives. We pray that you enable us to do this by your powerful spirit working in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, what kind of criticisms do you hear uh, from other people about Christians or Christianity? I mean, there are lots, right? There are lots. You know, we could go on and on and on all day. But basically, a lot of people say that Christians are hypocrites. You know, they, they point to all the Christian leaders around the world who have fallen from grace or who, who do things that are not right. Or they say that Christians are divided. You know, look at all the Christians out there who are fighting with each other for all, over all kinds of things. They can't agree on anything. Or they say Christianity is a psychological crutch for weak-minded people. No, but if you're somebody who is strong and scientifically minded, you would never believe in Christianity. So sometimes, you know, we face bombardments from everywhere as Christians. And we just wonder, we just, we just can't help but think, you know, if the kingdom of God has truly come, then why is it so weak and so unimpressive and so shameful in our world, you know? Surely, you know, um, the Bible's description of the kingdom of God is much greater than our actual experience of it. Now, that's Mark has been telling us, so far in the last few weeks we've been looking at Mark, Mark's been telling us Jesus is God's King, God's Messiah. Jesus has come to bring in this kingdom of God. Jesus is the guy who has great power. He has power to forgive sins, he has power over demons, over diseases, he has power over the Old Testament law. And then we've seen that a lot of people respond to him in different ways. So, some people come and follow Jesus and accept Jesus. But then you have another group of people who who oppose Jesus and who reject Jesus. So, as we come now to this part of Mark chapter 4, the question in our mind that we are trying to answer is, if Jesus is truly God's King, then and if He's really the person that who is fulfilling the Old Testament promise of God, then why doesn't everybody believe in Him? Why doesn't everybody recognize who He really is? See, the Kingdom of God is meant to be so glorious so powerful, so awe-inspiring, but why is it so weak and so unimpressive? See, nothing, I mean, the kingdom of God has come, but the world seems the same. Nothing seems to have changed. So that's what chapter 4 is about. Chapter 4 is about how ordinary the kingdom seems to be, how unexpected, and it's about how disappointing some people's responses are to the kingdom of God that we've seen. So as we, let's um, have a look at what it says here in chapter 4 today. So, this question of why people have different responses to Jesus, Jesus is explaining here to us. And to explain it, Jesus tells a parable. Okay? And we usually call this parable the parable of the sower. But actually the focus is not so much on the sower, but on the soils. So maybe we should call it the parable of the soils. Now Jesus tells this parable in verses 3 to 9, and then he gives the explanation in verse 13 to 20. Okay, I won't read the whole thing again to you because we just had it read. But notice how Jesus begins and ends this parable. What does he say at the beginning? He says, listen, okay, or hear. And then in verse 9, when he ends the parable, he says, He who has ears to hear, 
let him hear. Now you can see a key word coming up here. Isn't it? Jesus is stressing that it's so very important for us to hear, to hear carefully what he's saying. In fact, this whole parable is about hearing. This whole chapter of uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4 is about hearing. It's about how to hear properly and hear rightly the word of God. So this story is that this farmer went out to sow his seed. And in those times, they had fields with uh, little uh, paths around the edges. Okay, And the, the farmer would just scatter by hand the seed like that on the soil. Of course, not purposely trying to scatter it on the path, but to get to the edge of the soil, sometimes it would inevitably fall on the, on the path or on parts where it was a bit rocky okay, or parts where there were thorns. And the rocky part would be under the surface. You couldn't see it. Okay, or the thorns would be mixing in the ground. You couldn't see it. So the story is that all the seed that fell on the path, on the rocky ground and on the thorny places, all did not produce a crop. But only the one that fell on the good soil produced a crop. So what's Jesus trying to say? Well, let's go to his explanation from verse 14 to 20. Jesus explains in verse 14 that the farmer uh, sows the word. The seed in the parable represents the word. Okay, The word meaning the gospel the good news about Jesus. So, Jesus often told the gospel by using parables. Okay, the gospel message was put in the form of parables. And presumably, the farmer is the person who, who preaches or who shares the word to other people. And we can see here that the kingdom of God, how is the kingdom of God advanced? The kingdom of God is advanced not by sending in armies and tanks to bombard people into the kingdom, and not by human wisdom and strategy. The kingdom of God is advanced by the simple preaching of the gospel. And that's what we all need to do to advance the kingdom, to share the gospel. And then the parable shows us four different responses to God's word, to the gospel. Okay? Because the, farmers, the farmer is the same, the seed is the same, the only difference between all four responses is the soil. Okay? The four types of soil represent four different types of responses to God's word. Notice that all four people hear the word. Okay, so in verse 15 it says, uh, As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word. Verse 16 says, uh, Hear the word and at once receive it with joy. Verse 18 says, Still others like seed sown among thorns hear the word. And verse 20 says, Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word. See, they all hear the word. Okay, but they are different kinds of hearing, different levels of hearing. They all don't hear in the same way. So let's look at how they hear the word. The first soil is a hard path. Okay? The birds come and eat up all the seed really quickly. And that represents, Jesus says, that represents Satan taking the seed, the word, away from them. So if you are in this group, then you are somebody who hears the word, but it doesn't register at all. Okay? It's just in one ear and out the next. So you might be one of those people who listen to you know, preachers preach about the most important issues in human existence. They talk about God, talk about sin, salvation, talk about eternal life, eternal death. But then you just turn around and say, hey, what am I going to have for lunch next? Or, you know, oh, did you see the soccer game last night? It was unbelievable. You see? Maybe you come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you hear the word. But your attention is just not there. The next minute, it's just gone forever from your head. Now, this kind of hearing is at the most superficial level. You may hear the sound of the words. 
You may even think about it for about two minutes, but then after it, it's gone. Okay? And if you are this kind of soul, you need to repent and take the word of God seriously in your lives. Now the second soil is the rocky places where the hearers hear and immediately receive the word with joy, Jesus says. And this is the preacher's dream audience. Okay, these are people who go, you know, they hear the preacher preach and they say, Amen, praise the Lord. I really totally agree and I totally believe. And they're so excited about it. And if you are in this group, you know, that might be your response to hearing God's word. But then Jesus says that the soil is shallow. Soil is shallow. So the word has not penetrated deep down into your heart and you have not seriously thought about the implications of this gospel message for your life. Okay? You have not thought about how believing in Jesus must change all your value systems, your attitudes towards life, your priorities in life, your whole outlook on life must be changed. So this kind of conversion is a very superficial kind of conversion. Okay, maybe um, this person became a Christian because it's quite exciting to be in a church, okay, or more exciting than other activities they have, or maybe because they have a lot of Christian friends, maybe because they were promised being a Christian you know, gives you a wonderful life. Okay? So if you are this kind of believer, when the troubles and persecutions come, your faith rapidly disappears. So what kind of troubles? Well, for example, what if you suddenly lose your job? Or what if you, a business venture goes bad? You know, or what if you get a serious illness? What if your family and uh, members, your relatives, your friends criticize you, ridicule you because you're a Christian? Would you stop believing and coming to church? Now, in some countries, Christians even face greater troubles and persecutions than that. You know, they, they face people confiscating their property, they face being beaten up, they face going to jail or even killed for their faith. So, if this was to happen to you, would you give up your faith in order to continue to have an easy and comfortable life? Yes, you may have heard the word and yes, you might have responded in the past at some point, but is your faith and commitment deep enough to last through the tough times? That's what Jesus is asking. Now the third soil is the thorny ground. So if you are in this category, you are somebody who hears the word, but actually there is no record of any response to the word if you look carefully at Jesus' words. There is no tangible evidence of any true response to God's word. You know, Jesus says this, pe- this person is unfruitful. So if you are in this category, you may hear the word of God, but at the same time you are distracted by the call of the world around you. Jesus says, the worries of this life. You know, so, ah, I'm too busy now, God. Just wait, okay? Wait till my exams are over. Or, wait till my career is more stable. Wait till my business is more established. Wait till my kids are grown up. Wait till I'm retired. The worries and concerns of this life are never-ending. We all know that. And all of them are legitimate. Okay. And Jesus says, perhaps you are seduced by the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things. The world constantly tells us all the time, you know, seize the day. Go out there and work as hard as you can, make as much money as you can, so you can save as much as you can, buy as much property as you can. Uh, and 
we hear this not just from you know our peers or our colleagues, but also from our family, also even from church friends. So uh, after a while, we start to wonder. Oh, actually, maybe I should do it. Why am I different to them? You know, why am I am I missing out by not going after money or possessions and making that the goal of my life? Everybody else is doing that. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong for a Christian to be rich. Okay, God does not condemn people just because they are rich or because they have possessions, but what we are saying is that it's so easy to be sucked in and distracted by the desire and the love of wealth and material things. Okay, That's why Jesus actually has a lot to say about money in all his teaching because he knows that is our weak point. Jesus says, for example, we must not put our hope in wealth or make it an idol. So in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then a few verses later, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, uh, Martin Luther, a famous Christian, he once said this, he said, whatever your heart clings to or relies on, that is your God. Okay, whatever your heart clings to or relies on, that is your God. So if you trust in money as your ultimate security, and you love money above all else, then money is your God. Now, how can we know if money has become our God? You know, all of us have money after all. I mean, are we supposed to empty our bank accounts to show that we do not love money? Okay, well, here are some test questions that we could ask to, to diagnose the state of our hearts, okay, the condition of our hearts. For example, uh, from how I allocate the use of my time and energy, do I care more about growing in faithfulness to God or do I care more about maximizing opportunities to make money? Okay, or... Can people tell from my priorities, my lifestyle, my goals, my attitude to money that I'm a Christian? Or am I no different to an unbeliever in this regard? Another question, am I content with what I have or am I covetous for more? Is my happiness independent of material things or is it tied to material things? Is my desire to achieve a certain income or a certain standard of living stopping me from serving God as I should? Do I hold lightly to the things of this world? Or is there any possession that I just will not give up no matter what? Or do I live in restraint and simplicity for the sake of the gospel? Or do I pamper myself with self-indulgence and luxury? See, these are all questions we can ask ourselves. Do I, do I look forward to heaven as my home? Or am I perfectly at home here in this world? The thorny ground group of people hear the word, but it doesn't truly change anything in their lives at all. It doesn't impact them at all, even though they hear the word. So Now maybe you think, those people in this category will still end up in heaven. Okay, But don't fool yourselves. Because only those people who bear spiritual fruit have true spiritual life from God. And only those people who hear the word and allow it to control their lives can enter the kingdom of God. Now one day there will be a lot of church-going people who get the biggest shock of their lives when they meet God on the judgment day. You know, they, All their lives they thought they were safe, they thought that they would get to heaven, they took it for granted. But when they get there, God will say to them, all your life you serve the world and not me. You know, you didn't think 
it was important for you to devote your time to learning or obeying my word. And it wasn't a priority for you to serve me by serving your brothers and sisters in the church. You devoted your whole life to pursuing money and worldly things. You paid me lip service, but your heart was actually far from me. And therefore God will say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that's indeed a frightening thought for us. It could be any one of us here today. So are you thorny ground? Now do you claim to hear the word, but show by your lives that you are actually listening to the world instead of to God? If so, you need to repent before God of your idolatry of self and idolatry of wealth. Don't let the things of this world choke God out from your heart, choke God's word out, but turn all your priorities to Jesus and show it by your actions. Now the last kind of soil is the good soil. The good soil. And these are the only people who really hear God's word in the way that God requires, in the way that God demands. So how do they hear God's word? Well, it says in the verse 20 that they hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. So that's the definition of true hearing. True hearing is firstly to listen and understand, and secondly, to believe, and thirdly, to bear fruit. So the gospel is not just a a set of facts for us to know and agree with. The gospel is fundamentally Jesus Christ, whom we have to believe and follow and obey. So understanding the gospel, just like understanding Jesus' parables, is not just to gain some interesting knowledge or perspective. Understanding the gospel demands a response from us. It means we have to bear fruit. Now what does bear fruit mean? Well, it means to respond rightly to the gospel by repenting of our sin, by trusting in Jesus in what he has done, by submitting to Jesus' authority in our lives, and by living according to his demands. Now, Jesus' demands are very radical. You realize that in the gospel. Jesus doesn't ask for 10% from us or 50% from us. Jesus asks for 100% from us. He wants our everything. Let me read to you a verse from Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Okay. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Or Luke 14, verse 33. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. So you cannot accept Jesus in installments. You cannot say, I want this part, but I don't want that part. Take some bits and leave out other bits. You know, it's a package deal. You either take the whole lot with all the benefits and all the obligations, or you go somewhere else. So, what kind of soil are you? What is your hearing like? Do you hear instantly, forget, just like the first soil? Or do you hear, but only as far as life stays comfortable for you, like the second soil? Or do you hear? But then you're actually listening to the voices of the world around you, like the third soil. Or do you hear the word of the Lord Jesus, shut out all distractions and temptations, and firmly accept and obey the word of the Lord? That is the fourth soil, the good soil. So this parable tells us 
how to hear and respond to the word of God and therefore how to enter the kingdom of God. And as Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, so this parable that we've just looked at, the parable of the soils, has told us why there are so many different responses to Jesus, why so many people don't recognize Jesus as king in their lives. God's kingdom is hidden to so many people. Now, it's not because, uh, it's not because there's anything wrong with the seed, God's word, that God's people uh, no, don't hear. Or it's not because the preacher hasn't done a good job, the farmer hasn't done a good job in sowing. It's because there are different kinds of soil. And some people are unresponsive. And the reason for that is their sinful human hearts. Now, surely it doesn't help, though, that Jesus used to you know, speak everything in parables to the crowd. Right? I mean, by the way, a parable is a, uh, a symbolic story. So it's what people call an, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Okay? In other words, it's a spiritual lesson that Jesus uses ordinary things of life to illustrate. Okay? Metaphors, analogies from our everyday life. And actually, the Greek word for parable is broader than our English word for parable. You see, when we say parable, we usually mean a story with two levels of meaning, like the one we just read in the sower. Okay? But parables in the Greek means any kind of indirect uh, speech which uses a metaphor. It could be a proverb, it could be a short mysterious saying, it could be a riddle. You know, things like last week when we read Jesus says, uh, it's not the uh, healthy who need a doctor but the sick. That in a sense is a parable, even though it's not a long story. So Jesus used this type of teaching to teach the people. Jesus spoke to the people in parables, in symbolic language. In fact, Jesus taught them only by using parables, it says. So verse 2 says, He taught them many things by parables. And in verse 33 and 34, it says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So, But why didn't Jesus use a more straightforward way of communicating? People would get it, right? I mean, if he was more straightforward and clear-cut, then people, more people would accept his message. Well, that's what actually the disciples are wondering too. And so in verses 10 to 12, Jesus is now alone with his disciples. Okay, and the disciples, when I say disciples, it includes the 12 apostles of Christ and another group uh, who are with Jesus, it says, around Jesus. Okay. And these disciples ask the question to Jesus, ask him about the parables. So, excuse me, um, they're, they're wondering why does Jesus speak in parables? Okay. Now Jesus' answer here is in uh, verse 11. He says, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Now remember that he's not talking to the crowd now, he's talking to the people on the inside, the insiders, okay? the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus. He says that God has given to them, this insider group, the secret of the kingdom of God. It's not something that they have worked out for themselves. It's not because they are so clever or so studious. No, God is the one who gives them this knowledge. It's totally by God's grace and favor to them that they have this knowledge. He chooses to reveal it to them and not to those people outside. And what is this secret of the kingdom of God? A secret is, as we all know, a secret is not necessarily something that is very, very difficult to understand. A secret just means 
something that we cannot work out for ourselves. A secret is just something that people need to tell us in order for it, us to know it. Okay? So we don't have to be smart to know a secret. All we have to do is to be privileged, to be let in on the secret. So the secret that God gives to them is the secret of the kingdom of God. It's a secret that God's kingdom has come and it has come in the person and the mission of Jesus. The secret is about what this kingdom will be like, how this kingdom will grow, how it will be established, what kind of people will enter it and how it will finally be fully realized. That is the secret of the kingdom of God. And this whole secret is in Jesus' parables. Now, you might ask yourself, what does the secret of the kingdom of God have to do with the disciples' question about why does Jesus teach in parables? Well, as I said, the secret of the kingdom of God is contained in the parables of Jesus. And being given the secret of the kingdom means to be given the understanding of Jesus' parables. Okay? To understand Jesus' parables is to understand the kingdom of God. And this is not from human effort, this is the gift of God. Now, how does this gift come? Is it a sudden download from God? Oh, I understand the parable, even though other people outside don't understand. Well, in fact, Jesus gives the disciples special private tuition, you could call it. Okay, He explains the parables privately to his disciples, and he doesn't do that for the crowd. So in this case, he gives the explanation of this parable of the soils privately to his disciples. And in verse 34... Uh, it says, he did not say anything to them, them meaning the crowd, without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So the crowd outside only got the parables without the added explanation. But the disciples got the parables and the explanation. So what's the answer to the disciples' question about the parables? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Well, the first reason is so that Jesus can reveal the truths of God's kingdom to those on the inside. That is the disciples. He does that using parables. But that's not all there is to it. There's in fact another side to that, uh, to that question. Okay? And that's in verse 11 to 12. So verse 11 to 12 says this, But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So Jesus is saying that the second function of parables is to bring God's judgment on those people who do not respond to God in faith. Now, it's a bit hard to understand what, that, what does that mean. Okay, let's look at verse 12. Verse 12 is actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Okay, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. Now, we studied this passage a few months back. Uh, and Let me read to you. Okay, if you want, you can turn to it. Otherwise, just listen. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to 10. He said, that's God told Isaiah, Go and tell these people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of these people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And when God commissioned Isaiah to become a prophet, He told Isaiah to go out there, not to tell people, well, not to, not to enable people to repent, but really to tell people not to understand, to make people's hearts hard against God and to blind them spiritually so that they would not repent and would not turn back to God and therefore would not be forgiven by God. Now, that's strange. But 
we won't go into it in huge detail in Isaiah, we've already covered that, but uh, by that point in Israel's history, God was thoroughly fed up with Israel's sin and disobedience and unfaithfulness, and he had come to a point where enough was enough. So Isaiah's message, God knew that it would not bring repentance, but uh, it would bring judgment, because people would listen and yet not repent. So the message was not even intended to bring repentance. Instead, it would make Israel resist God even more. And so God would have all the more reason to judge them for their sins. That's precisely God's intent in sending Isaiah out there, so that Isaiah's message would make people harder against God, prevent them from repenting, and ripen them for judgment. Now Jesus is actually using this verse in his context to say that the people of his generation are just as wicked and rebellious as those people of Isaiah's time. I mean, Jesus is saying, you know, these people, you may, you, on, when you look at them, right, all these crowds coming to Jesus, you think, wow, these guys are really good, right? They're all coming to Jesus. But in fact, these parables and these teachings are actually condemning the crowd that has come to Jesus, to listen to Jesus. You know, just think of the punishment for those people who oppose Jesus actively. You know, Jesus is already condemning those who come. Jesus is saying that they are wicked in their hearts and rebellious. Because they come to see Jesus as a curiosity. Okay, they are not really interested in being committed to him. Maybe some of them want to use him for their own purposes. So some of them want him to be their political messiah, to get rid of the Romans for them. And others saw miracles that Jesus did, like Jesus was able to uh, make bread out of nothing. And they want to follow him so that he will have free bread to eat every day. You see, when the crowd heard Jesus' parables, some of them will be just thinking that oh, this is like entertainment, stories. No, Jesus is a wonderful storyteller. Now, I love to listen to Jesus' stories. Right? So they actually missed the whole meaning of the parable. Because when they heard the parable, other, the disciples, the insiders, heard amazing revelation from God. But the outsiders hear an interesting story. Okay? And why? It's because of their unbelieving hearts. It's because of their refusal to turn to God and to believe in Jesus. And therefore, because of their unbelief, Jesus deliberately tells parables so that unbelievers would not have access to the truth of God, to the secret of the kingdom of God. They, will, they would see, but not perceive. They would hear, but not understand. Because they didn't have faith in him, Jesus told God's truth in parables so that they would actually not get the underlying meaning. And they would hear the same parables, as I said, but God's truth was veiled from their eyes, but it was revealed to the disciples. Now you might ask me, what about verse 33? You now in verse 33, doesn't it say that Jesus spoke the word to them in parables as much as they could understand? In other words, doesn't it say that Jesus' parables was not intended to conceal God's truth, but to reveal as much as possible? Well, I don't think that the NIV translation is ideal here. The original Greek text for this, uh, of verse 33 is basically saying, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. As they were able to hear. Now, as they were able to hear doesn't necessarily mean as much as they could understand. In other words, it's not necessarily saying Jesus carefully adjusted his use of parables to suit their cap capacity to understand. Okay? I think what it's saying is, after Jesus spoke the parables, Jesus left it up to them 
to get what they could out of it. Okay, as they could hear. Okay, as much as they could on their own without Jesus' private explanation, they were expected to understand. Now you might think that's not fair. It's not fair that those people on the inside are given the same level of revelation, uh, are given more revelation than those people who are outside. It's not fair. No, it's a bit harsh that God doesn't want people to turn and be forgiven. But actually, they bear the full responsibility for their lack of response and their lack of belief in God. See, those people who are on the outside are on the outside by their own choice. Why aren't they on the inside? They could easily have gone inside to hear more, to ask Jesus for more explanation because they didn't understand his parables. But the simple fact is they are not interested to find out more. See, if they were interested, they would go inside and ask Jesus for explanation. And so, parables are like doors to the kingdom of God. When you stand far away from this door, the doors remain firmly shut. But as you walk up close to the door, suddenly you realize it's an automatic door, the door opens for you and you can walk inside. If you start off far away with an attitude of unbelief, then the parables will never make sense to you and you will just not grasp the spiritual truth of the parable. Because of your unbelief, you know, uh, God will use this mysterious and enigmatic uh, nature of the parables to make you think, ah, it's all rubbish, and therefore you harden your heart against God, and therefore you do not repent to God. But if you are somebody who walks close to the door, who seeks in faith to understand, even though you do not fully understand at the beginning, then God will give you understanding of the parables, and the doors will open for you. So parables function like sorting machines in a way they distinguish the believers from the unbelievers. Parables confirm believers in their belief and they confirm unbelievers in their unbelief. Jesus' answer to the disciples' question about why he speaks in parables is twofold, as we've seen. Parables have a dual purpose. Firstly, to those on the inside who have faith in Jesus, parables are God's way of revealing his secrets to them. But to those on the outside who do not seek Jesus, who the parables only puzzle and mystify so that the people will fail to repent and therefore will not be forgiven. If God has given you understanding of the kingdom, don't pat yourself on the back and think, how clever I was, you know, I studied the Bible really hard and it's all by my own effort and my own study. No. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God's grace to you. God has chosen you to receive His secrets. So that's an amazing privilege that we need to give thanks for. And if you're somebody who doesn't understand the truth of God, do not yet understand, don't be tempted to think, I don't understand what's going on in the Bible. It's all rubbish to me. This doesn't make any sense. And I'm just going to walk away. Because the more you think like this, the more you reject it, and the more you reject it, the more you'll be hardened against it. And when you're hardened against it, you will not repent and not be forgiven. Now, so far we've seen uh, how the kingdom of God is revealed to some and concealed to others. All right? The parables of Jesus bring understanding to some people, to the disciples, but hardness of heart and judgment to others. Now, why would God go to all the trouble of sending his son into the world only to keep him hidden from people? You know, why would he send his son uh, and only save a minority of people? 
What kind of kingdom is that? What kind of kingdom is God bringing? And most people don't even recognize God's kingship. Well, that's what Jesus goes on to discuss next. So in verses 21 to the end, Jesus uses a few parables. Firstly, in verses 21 to 25, Jesus uh, says, A lamp is intended to be put on a stand. Okay, a lamp does not fulfill its purpose by being uh, covered, by being put under a bowl or a bed. So, in the same way, Jesus did not come into this world to remain hidden forever. Jesus is, yes, he's for now a hidden king. He's not spectacular at all. There's no razzle-dazzle about him. And, you know, if you go to work tomorrow and you speak to your colleagues and say, Oh, King Jesus, you know, this and that, they'll look at you. What do you mean King Jesus? You know, who is King Jesus? They don't recognize his kingship. Jesus' kingship is hidden and it's not at all obvious. And many people do not understand this kingship of God that is revealed in God's parables. But Jesus says in verse 22, Whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. God did not send Jesus to be a hidden king forever. God did not intend that the meaning of the parables would remain unclear forever. God's plan all along was to hide Jesus' full glory from view for the precise purpose of later revealing it to all the world. See, one day, the kingdom of God will be fully obvious to everybody. It will be no longer a secret that only some people know, but it will be an open secret, so to speak, that is revealed to all. And one day it will be so obvious to everybody that Jesus is king. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore verse 23 says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It means make sure you hear carefully now. You know, back the winning team now. Back the right horse now. Get on Jesus' side before it's too late. When Jesus comes again in all his glory, it will be too late for you, it will be game over for you, and you will have no longer the chance to believe and repent. Now it's so important for us to hear correctly. Listen to what Jesus says in 24 and 25. He says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Again, some kind of parable that is a bit hard to understand, right? Now, in my childhood, uh, I used to go and buy flour and sugar from the guy downstairs. And no, it's not like now we're all packaged properly in plastic bags. So last time you actually had a big sack of sugar and you had to tell them, I want half a kilo and they'll measure for you on the scales, right? And they'll give you that. A measure is the standard that you use to measure out something for people. Okay? So, if you use a small measure, let's say you, you say half one kilo measure, but your, your one's actually 800 grams and not one kilo, you're measuring out less than what you should be measuring out to people. So, when he says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, he's saying something like this. He's saying, um, if you are generous to people, they'll be generous back to you. Okay, that kind of idea. Or, in this case, he's saying, how you treat God is how God, how God will treat you, basically. Okay, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. God will measure to you in the same way. So if you respond to God with faith now, God will give you more and more blessing and understanding. And understanding his secrets of his kingdom. But if you hear him without faith, 
Not only you get nothing out of hearing it, even whatever you have will be taken away from you. You'll be in a worse condition than before you started hearing. Your unbelief will become more and more entrenched, your heart will be more and more hardened, and you deserve even more judgment than when you first began. So that's just exactly like what we read in verses 10 to 12. So pay attention to how you hear. And now, you know, you've heard all these things and you might be thinking, wow, you know, how is God's kingdom ever going to be established in this world if there are so many people who don't respond to the gospel, right? I mean, how is God going to do it? Most people don't want to, re- don't want to listen to him. Well, that's what Jesus deals with next, in the next parable. In verse 26 to 32, there are two parables. And these two parables are about the eventual outcome of the kingdom of God. So in the first parable about the growing seed, that's in verse 26 to 29, the man sows seed, and he goes and minds his own business after that, after sowing the seed. He doesn't see it the field every day to watch carefully how many millimeters, you know, the thing will come up. No, he just go and sleep, get up, brush his teeth, does his own thing, you know. The field will just grow on its own, whether or not he's looking at it. So it's automatic. The growth is automatic. It's slow, yes, but it's sure. And the guy... Uh, doesn't know how it grows, but there will still be a full harvest at the end. Now this parable shows us, uh, I think, two points. The first point is that God's kingdom does not come by our own effort, by our own effort. Okay, The growth of God's kingdom is not up to us, but it's up to God. God is the one who makes it grow. All our job is, is to go and sow the seed, tell people about the gospel, proclaim the gospel. And once we have done that, we may not see God at work. Sometimes things seem stagnant. Sometimes things can be discouraging. But God is always at work in a mysterious way. It's just like uh, what I heard uh, about China when the communists took over. They sent out all the missionaries, foreign missionaries, out of the country and they closed the door so that nobody knew what was happening inside China. And a lot of people didn't hear anything about the church because the, the Christians were persecuted. Okay, the churches were closed down. It was illegal. And everybody assumed that the church in China has died out and is gone. Okay, but in the 80s when China finally opened its doors to the world, people realized that the church has grown much more rapidly than when the missionaries were actually in China. Okay, God works in mysterious ways, even though you know nobody is watching, nobody knows what's going on. So that is the point here, that God's work, uh, the growth of the gospel is by God's work. And the second point of this parable, I think, is that the growth of God's kingdom is not an immediate event, but it's a gradual, gradual process. Now that's important because the Jews actually expected, uh, when God sent the Messiah, they expected everything to happen immediately. Okay, So they expected the Messiah to come, get rid of the Romans, bring in the kingdom of God, heaven, everything happy after that. Okay, uh, But no, Jesus says no, God's kingdom is coming in a gradual way. God's Messiah would come firstly in a very hidden way, not recognized by many people, and only gradually and only later would God's kingdom be fully grown and the harvest be fully ready. That's what Jesus is saying. And in the next parable, the parable of the mustard seed, in verse 30 to 32, uh, now by the way, a mustard seed is a very small seed according to Jesus, Okay, the smallest of seeds, and yet it grows to be the largest of garden plants. That's what Jesus says. So the point is very similar to the, pre- uh, the previous parable that there is a slow growth from 
what is big, uh, what is small to what is big. Except that this time the focus is not so much on the growth, the focus is on the contrast between how it started and how it will end. So how did the kingdom of God start in Jesus? Well, it started off as this untrained Jewish rabbi from Galilee, a carpenter's son, with his motley crew of uneducated fishermen, tax collectors, and all these people following around him, going around Galilee. It's a very unimpressive start to the kingdom of God. Okay, But it will end as God's final glorious revelation of his power. So it will start off small, it will end with a bang. That's how God does it. So, do you, are you somebody who doubts the Christian message because you think it's not spectacular? No, if God is truly at work, surely it will be more spectacular, there will be you know, more I don't know, miracles and things like that happening. It will, be, it will be more impressive than what I see. Well, make no mistake, that's exactly God's plan. God wants it to be this way. See, God's purpose is to start off small and end off big. God works through a rejected and a crucified Messiah to accomplish salvation. And God works through a pathetic and despised message to bring in His kingdom. We looked at 1 Corinthians last year, and remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says? It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, God's gospel may seem weak, but it's actually God's power. So the three parables in this section, the lamp on the stand, the growing seed, the mustard seed, they're all making the same point that God's kingdom is weak now, yes, it seems weak now, but it is inevitable that it will become a glorious, great and powerful kingdom of God in the future. So if you do not believe in Jesus, well again, get on God's side now before it's too late for you. You know, it will be too late to repent then in the future when God's rule comes openly in all its fullness. So don't be left on the outside when God's kingdom is fully revealed. So to sum up today's passage, we've learned at least three main things. The first point is in the parable of the soils. Okay, and that point is that if we want to enter the kingdom of God, we need to hear the word of God rightly. And hearing the word rightly means not just listening to it or understanding it or even accepting it with joy. Hearing it rightly means letting it determine all our choices and letting it control all our life. Now, secondly, we learn that the different responses that people have to the Word of God come from the state of their hearts. Those who have, the, those who have hearts of faith will receive more blessing and understanding and revelation from God, but those who have hearts of unbelief, will be further blinded and hardened so that they cannot repent. And thirdly, we learn that just because many people do not respond rightly to God's message now, doesn't mean that God's kingdom has failed. God's kingdom is meant to start off small and weak and hidden, but God will slowly but surely make it into His glorious and eternal kingdom. Now we all know that... Uh, the aeroplane was invented by the Wright brothers in America. Um, I think that was in the 1800s, if I'm not mistaken. And this bunch of two brothers, uh, they basically sacrificed a lot. You know, they used up their money, their time, their effort to keep experimenting, keep changing their design, and keep doing things to see whether this thing would fly into the air. 
And everybody around them was laughing at them, thinking, you guys are so stupid, you know. What do you mean by a machine that can fly? You know, isn't that an oxymoron? How can a machine fly? Right? I mean, the newspapers laughed at them and all this. Okay? It's, but they persevered and they actually managed at last to develop the first airplane. And we owe it to them for their hard work because now we get to fly AirAsia, Jetstar and all the rest of it. Okay? Because of their hard work. Now people may scoff and laugh at this kingdom of God. They may say, show me this kingdom, show me your king, where is he, so that I can believe. Where is this great kingdom of God? But we know that God's kingdom will inevitably come. And when it does, whether you are in it, depends on how you have heard the word. What kind of hearer you are, what kind of soil you are. So listen to Jesus' warning. Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so consider carefully how you're here. Let's all pray. My dear Heavenly Father, indeed we thank you for giving us your precious word, the gospel about Jesus, and you build your kingdom on this gospel. Thank you for reminding us today of how absolutely vital it is for us to hear this word rightly in order to enter your kingdom. Please help us not to be like seed on the field path, which pays no attention to your word. Help us not to be like seed on rocky places, which fall away when trouble or persecution comes. Help us not to be like seed on thorny ground, which gets choked by the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things in life. But instead, help us to be good soil, to hear your word, to accept it, and to produce a crop of godliness and obedience in our lives. Don't let us be discouraged by the apparent weakness of your kingdom in this present age, but please strengthen us to hope in your coming great and eternal kingdom and to be on your side when King Jesus returns in his majesty and glory to rule and to judge. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.